0: Good afternoon. We're back with another episode of the Sean Mo Hoops podcast with my favorite guest, Michael Weisenberg, coming in to chat about the NCAA tournament and the end of the college hoop season. Mikey V, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well, Sean. Thank you, as always, for having me on.
0: Definitely. Um, I know we, you know, I wanted to potentially do a a pre-championship podcast, but uh, that probably would have looked pretty foolish uh, as soon as the, the championship game game started but you know here we are we've chatted throughout the year uh gonzaga baylor were you know preseason really top top three teams and they kind of became a top two very early on but what were your thoughts of the championship game that is now a few days a few days past us
1: yeah um i believe our championship preview unless you were really rolling with baylor i i was rolling with gonzaga and, yes, it would have looked absolutely foolish because Baylor dominated, I felt, from start to finish. Gonzaga went on a few good runs. Um, but, yeah, Baylor's guard play, their depth. Uh, like, the fact that they completely out-rebounded Gonzaga, they took better care of the ball, they, of course, shot better. It, it was, um, yeah, it was definitely, Baylor was the best team, and the best team went.
0: Yeah, they definitely were the were the best team and I think that was evident, you know, from the first the first minute, uh, that they really jumped on jumped on Gonzaga. And I mean I think, you know, you had you know, really the the guard play, uh, between, you know, Teague Butler and, and Mitchell, which was hard to beat. You know, you have a team shooting averaging forty one percent from the, the three point line. And it, it's still kinda crazy that there is so much I think offensive pressure on the three guards, uh just given that mark vital uh, you know his role was kind of the the garbage man and the def- you know having the defensive versatility and then obviously the the two bigs that they rotated in and out more for pick and roll rebounding diving to the hoop uh, but you know the guards performed great and you know one guy who I I definitely had Gonzaga in all my pools and and thought they would win uh, did kind of come around to Baylor at least at the four and a half the day of you know right before the game but the thing with Mitchell, I thought defensively he would be the key matchup in terms of how how he would guard Gonzaga. Um and I know he started on Kispert early, but from an offensive standpoint, here's a guy that shot thirty two percent from three last year, and now he's shooting forty four percent at a high volume. Um, you know, what were your, you know, what are some of your thoughts on just Teague, Butler and and Mitchell?
1: Yeah, fantastic backcourt. The cool thing that the Baylor school website does or the, the athletic website with the basketball roster is they have wingspans and they have Butler and Mitchell with six foot two with uh height and then six foot three wingspan. Um, Macy Oteague has a six foot 10 wingspan, according to the website. Um, But yeah, like it it, obviously, it runs through Butler and and Mitchell, and they have the I I would say more NBA level skill set. But yeah, T definitely kicked in some nice offense as well. Uh, Butler is just such a great handler, and he is also I I believe was close to like in the forty two forty four percent range from three. One of the best players in college basketball this year was I believe a unanimous first team all-american. Um and then yeah, davion Mitchell really helped himself. He's just he's such a great athlete. He's really strong. He's a really good defender. The team defense I thought was fantastic. And I was just looking at the the box score and, and Mark Vital had eight offensive rebounds. Like the guy did his job. <laughs> he it, it's crazy like the fact that they had this, you know, like 6-5 center but he was really good at what he did.
0: Yeah, I mean he, you know, especially early on when when he would just extend the possessions, and especially you know going in, Baylor's weakness was giving up offensive rebounds. But here they were uh, crashing the glass, and especially for Gonzaga that didn't get out to a hot start, and now here here you are. Uh, the few times Butler or Baylor, sorry, Baylor misses, you know they're getting the offensive rebound and, and getting another another possession so i think for them you know one thing was really just you know for vital he's been you know my my buddy sent me a a high school uh youtube clip of him from like 2013 or 14 so you know and that one he looked more like a you know a basketball player versus more you know a guy doing the dirty work but here's a guy who's 20 you know what is he 23 24 almost and he's you know, bought significantly bought into the team, and he knows his role. Um, and then you have the guys and Flagler coming off the off the bench. I thought, from a Gonzaga perspective, Jalen Suggs looked like he could play at that level, but everybody else, uh, you know, it was it was quickly evident that the, the the Baylor guys were on a on a different different level. Um, and especially with Kispert, who the first three games shot the ball lights out from three, but then really the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and the championship game was not his kind of standard shooting self, even though he had some, you know, pretty, uh, you know, from the dunk against UCLA and one of the shots he blocked at Baylor, some, you know, great moments, but he just never fully got it going. Um, and, And Suggs was playing well, but just didn't have the help. And, you know, Gonzaga just didn't have the depth either to kind of bring in other players to potentially throw something else at Baylor. So it was... Yeah, it was, it was, you know, I was, was hoping for a close game, but it was a, a beatdown. But I guess in terms of close games, you know, people will always remember that Gonzaga uh, UCLA game. Um, so I, I know you were watching that. Uh, what, what were your kind of thoughts as you were watching that semifinal?
1: I couldn't believe it. It was, yeah, that was an incredible game. I still feel, and I am sorry for bringing this up. You you know where I'm going with this shot. Um my favorite game ever was North Carolina Villanova. I, I thought that was that championship game, which I know you were at, was the best. Um and like just Marcus Page hitting the shot and then Chris Jenkins, like that was unreal. But yeah, the UCLA Gonzaga version was fantastic as well, especially with UCLA being such an underdog and Gonzaga kind of bulldozing through everybody up to that point. Uh, so yeah, like I didn't really see that game as like a sign of things to come. Uh, I thought UCLA shot exceptionally well from the mid range, which is something you didn't usually expect for outside of like maybe Juzang and Hakez. But you had like, Tiger Campbell shooting well. You had Cody Riley making some mid-range jumpers that you normally wouldn't really expect from him. Um, and then, yeah, like, Gonzaga, it, it was just such a great game, like, with the whole back and forth. UCLA gained off to the early lead, Gonzaga storming back. Um, why did Johnny Juzang drive? That's, that's my big thing with, uh, as far as the end of regulation, like, why didn't he drive? Why not just go for the shot? Like, that's not his game. And obviously, like, the fact that Drew Timmy was playing with four fouls for as long as he did and then still ends up drawing that charge, which I thought was a legitimate charge. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great game. And then, of course, Jalen Suggs has been clutch all year. He was the one who brought them back uh, or at least sealed the deal in the BYU game that was really close uh, in WCC. Uh, final I believe and then um, yeah like that that shot is going to go down in history I thought he was their bright spot in the championship game as well but yeah like uh, he definitely showed some fantastic resilience and uh, just a, a lot of guts in, uh taking and making that shot yeah
0: I and mean, I think you know for Gonzaga some of the warning signs were there that everybody just kind of ignored a little bit I think we might have chatted about it back in the the middle of conference play, I think it was the Pacific game where they were down and they ended up winning pretty easily, but, you know, they, they didn't shoot well from the line and they didn't have their kind of standard uh, three-point barrage from Kispert. Um, And I know you have Nemhard and and Ayayi that could shoot the ball along with Suggs, but at the same time, Kispert was really carrying them from, you know, from a three-point percentage. Uh, A lot of those things did go wrong, but yeah, the UCLA game, you know, I think going in, They had played a perfect game, well, not perfect, but as close to, you know, for the Alabama game where they got up big at at the half. And then I thought they kind of went to their prevent defense a little bit early, you know, and Alabama was able to tie it up pretty quickly. But then they persevered instead of, you know, going going down in the second half. And same thing with Michigan where they were able to control the clock enough each possession, uh, but at the same time, they were able to still work the matchups and get really good shots for Juzang and, and, you know, Haguez um, and that they were able to convert. Cause I mean, you look at UCLA and I don't think anybody expected Cody Riley to be hitting 16 foot jump shots, but the guys on the team can, you know, they can definitely shoot. And a lot of those guys are the ones I've been able to see in high school. So even, you know, a Jules Bernard or a Singleton, you know, those guys can, can shoot from the perimeter and, You know, Johnny Juzang, I think, is interesting because, you know, I guess it was two years ago he was at the Final Four playing in the USA Basketball event, getting ready to go into his senior year, and then all of a sudden he was deciding to reclass and chose Kentucky. And I remember thinking, wow, that that doesn't seem like a great fit for him, Um, especially, you know, I just watched him in high school play Zaire Williams, and all of a sudden he's at Kentucky, he didn't really play that well, but. You know, he he got that year of college experience, so he's a lot different than I'd say your standard freshman. Um and he came in and little by little was able to kind of take control of that team and that Gonzaga game was so fun to watch because you knew he was getting the ball, you knew what he was gonna do, and they still couldn't stop him because they didn't have, yeah. you know, that six seven lanky athlete that that could. And um the the play you mentioned at the end of regulation when he did drive to the basket he did that right to left crossover and got that step, and I I was just like, oh man, it's it's over because I thought he was, you know, going to pull up or or get a, a wide open jump shot, and then all of a sudden Timmy Timmy steps in, and uh, you know, even at the end of the first overtime, I thought they were gonna they hit the quick three, and I thought they were gonna maybe go for the win, and he missed it, got the rebound, and and went up, and you know, once again, as, as we know with the UNC Villanova game, a lot can happen, and. In a matter of uh, a matter of seconds, and, and this sure. one, it, when Suggs let it go, you could tell it was online, and with his momentum, you knew it, it was going to be a bank, if anything. And you know, it was, a, it was a surprise it went in, but it once you saw kind of the trajectory, similar to Chris Jenkins, that I was sitting, unfortunately, right behind that that basket, and as as soon as it left his hand, you knew it was, you know, you kind of hoped that uh, somehow time had gone off which you knew it didn't but as soon as it left his hand you saw where it was headed um but yeah I think that was one of the a great game and I'm sure it took a little bit out of Gonzaga at the same time I don't think it would have made a difference either way
1: no I completely agree with you that yeah like Baylor just looked like the better team I I don't yeah I'm sure some people will have that take where you know oh the overtime game and all the emotion and everything like that Baylor was just straight up the better team. And I think there were some, like definitely a group of people who early on in the year when they were both undefeated, uh, like felt like Baylor could be the better team. And I I honestly feel like Baylor being in a strong conference, plus taking the huge COVID break that they, they ended up taking um, that, that was kind of what led to that, uh, them having those couple losses, but. Yeah, you, you just, you wonder in, in normal circumstances if Gonzaga would have been an undefeated team. team. Um, and, you know, th- th- certainly there was a possibility, and they were great. Like, Baylor and Gonzaga were both just by far the two best teams this season. And, like, get, when you have a chance to get the two best teams in the NCAA Finals, like, that, that's a fantastic feeling. And I, I feel like it's worked out really well in the past.
0: I mean, Gonzaga, you know, they beat a two seed, a three seed, a four seed pretty handily in the regular season. I think, you know, with them, though, you're always going to get, you know, in the West Coast Conference, BYU is usually a tournament team, but, you know, not going to be really higher than what they were this year. And and oftentimes St. Mary's is. But for the most part, they're allowed to slip up a little bit more versus, you know, really any power conference where, uh you know it's a lot easier to lose the one or two games. I think you know, Baylor smacked around Illinois early in the year. Illinois was a one seed. I think, you know, looking back, it was like, oh, Illinois got better as the year went by instead of no Baylor just (laughs) smacked them you know, smacked a very talented team around. Uh but yeah, it was a you know a fun tournament. Just going going back to Juzang for instance, um, do you think he you know do you think he comes back? Do you think he takes advantage of, of being hot and, and testing. What where, where do you think where do you think he ends up um, over the next few months?
1: I think he's gone. I, I think that uh, he did enough in the NCAA tournament to really just improve his stock. People see his ability to shoot off emotion, to you know, hit pull ups. The shot was always the the big thing with Johnny Juzang. I worry about some of the other stuff. And, like, you know, I don't love, you know, some of, uh like, just in terms of, like, playmaking, in terms of his defense, in terms of athleticism. Like, when, when I said the him driving to the basket, like, isn't his game. Like, he didn't finish well around the basket. He, I don't think he had a single dunk this year. Like, you know, and, yes, that, that's not his game. And you don't necessarily need that to be a, a great, you know, NBA, like, shooter like he's going to be. But yeah, I, I were like him defensively in the NBA. Um, I, so I wonder how exactly how high his stock is right now. But I, I feel like it definitely rose quite a bit. And uh, yeah, like certainly the buzz seems to be that he is likely going to be gone.
0: I mean, I think looking back on him, it was really kind of the athleticism in terms of that really first step. But at the same time, he was able to catch the ball wherever he wanted and, and get get a pretty good, you know, jump shot or or a shot off the dribble. Um, and, and the, the, the point is kind of moot, especially if if they go pro. But you know, if you're a college, you want to try to find ideally the, the Juzang, a guy that is extremely talented but has some athleticism constraints, I guess you could say, because, you know, let's just look at two Southern California players that are the same eight you know really the same level Juzang and Zaire Williams Juzang uh, was lower ranked but he outplayed Zaire in head-to-head games and his team got the win I think it was uh, twice but if it wasn't twice it was at least the, the time in the playoffs but Zaire is a guy he who's definitely going to be one and done uh, just because more of the intangibles and you know obviously he had the injuries and COVID and didn't shoot the ball well but um, you know, there's a guy, for the most part, was going to be one-and-done versus a Zhang who played, you know, played himself into a one-and-done, but for the most part, maybe would have had a better chance at coming back. So I think, you know, as we go into the transfer portal and and everything, those are the type of guys schools will probably look to identify versus some of the, the one-and-dones, given how hard it has been to acclimate for some of them. But, you know, with with that kind of wrapping up the, up the college basketball season, uh, you know, what were kind of last, last thought on this, but what were some other just kind of takeaways from the tournament or things that you enjoy or players that you enjoyed watching?
1: Uh, I know you you enjoyed Oral Roberts. Uh, I enjoyed aspects of Oral Roberts, Uh, the institution itself, not as much, but Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner were fun players. Um, yeah, I I love the upsets from the tournament this year. Um, I honestly, I think it's,
0: I think I, it's I, the, like, the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 uh, representative. Oh,
1: oh the, the Pac. Like, I don't know if this tournament, like beyond, of course, winning the NCAA tournament. I don't know if this tournament could have gone much better for the Pac-12. Um, yeah, like the fact that some people kind of had. Pac-12 is like the bottom power six conference and they end up doing as well as they did. That was definitely a highlight. Um, yeah, I just thought that, uh, I, even like the, the format, like it being on like off days and stuff like that, like yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I, I kind of like the the Monday, Tuesday, like, you know, later in the day thing for the elite eight, um, and yeah, as far as players, it's it's so it's crazy to me because I just did a mock draft for Visland, and so many of the players that are proje- projected to go quite high in the mock draft had pretty unceremonious ends to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's something that you just really have to appreciate. Uh, I love the first weekend the most, like just seeing all those games and having those crazy matchups um, and, you know, just, uh, of course, the single game format of it. Uh, But yeah, I think that um, this is going to be like an unprecedented year uh, and with it being in the single location, I, I and what I was also talking about with my brother, is like one shining moment, which my brother loves and I never really cared too much about, but I think such a huge part of that is having the fans. And the fact that they didn't have like any fans at all, like that, that, that was kind of a killer. And I, I think that would have just increased the, the intensity that much more as well. But yeah, I, I thought for what we were able to get accomplished, like this was a fantastic NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think only really having the the Oregon VCU game is the one that got got messed up. Especially after the conference uh, conference tournaments was was great. And once again, I yeah. had a lot of skepticism going into the season of how this would work. And there's a lot of a lot of hurdles, but it, it worked out well. And we got a we got a basketball season. Uh, and now hopefully, you know, going into somewhat of a normal. It's not going to be normal, but at least more normalized summer and then into into next season. But you already there's been some crazy news, just, you know, North Carolina with Roy Williams and now Hubert Davis. And then uh, the the recent Sean, Sean Miller news. Uh, What was kind of your initial reaction when, when you saw that Roy Williams was stepping down last week?
1: I can't say I'm shocked, but yeah, like, did you expect it?
0: No, I mean, I think, uh, after the after the Duke game, when he kissed the floor, there was a lot of rumors that were flying. But then, you know, he, he definitely didn't have a great answer for it. But you also didn't want to think that it would happen. So you just kind of put it in the, in the back of your mind. And then once the season ended, uh, Kessler transferred. And it seemed like everybody else was out the door. And then that kind of calmed down. So once they calmed down, you're like, all right know They need to find a few players in the transfer portal, so who are they gonna get and He kind of started focusing on that, and then all of a sudden, you know back again out of nowhere so in reality, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but definitely you know definitely caught a lot of myself and a lot of people off off guard and it would have been nice if he could have ended on just kind of a little bit of a happier note uh you know mm-hmm. with the stand, fans in the stands and kind of getting a proper goodbye at the dean dome uh but at the same time. You know, no no coach won more championships than he did while he was at North Carolina, um, and it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see how Hubert Hubert Davis does. Um, you know, it, no coaching experience at a blue blood, but I think it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, but obviously, still still a ways to go from the roster that is currently on the on the team.
1: Yeah, well, and you have to think that they're going to be also like a, a pretty nice destination for some of the potential transfers also um i'd like to see some up transfers and, and things like that with like you know a, a player like max ace who likely is going to the the nba but um yeah it would be nice if you know you got some of these small school guys who were able to just quickly up transfer um yeah i i'm kind of i'm I, for one, love the transfer rule and think that it's going to be awesome. And I have no real issue with it. Like, Oregon just lost three guys, uh, two of whom are transfers, and one was the brother of a transfer. Um, but, yeah, like, I, as sad as I was to see them go, I, I'm just kind of like, oh, who are we going to replace them with? Like, wh- what's going to happen here? And I, I don't think of it as free agency – I think that the whole college basketball um, fairness rule and amateurism rule is a myth. And uh, I I don't think that's ever really been true. So yeah, I'm I'm very willing to see how this works. And plus, I I always just thought it was a, a little ridiculous that, well, you never knew exactly who had to sit out and who didn't. There was kind of the grad transfer rule, but sometimes that didn't work like it it was a whole thing. And I I think having this one time transfer um, that's just going to be, make college basketball that much more interesting. And uh, as you and I were talking about before the show, kind of difficult to have an early top 25 for next year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think right now, you know, 1200 plus players. So a team can easily remake itself very quickly, which I think, you know, no longer does a coach have to come in and, you know, you got to get that recruiting, you know, and it's going to take a few years, but now you can do that on a hurry. But the flip side is that you might be doing that every year and you're not able to, you know, build the team that Baylor did, where you have, you know, juniors and seniors and guys that have been, been playing together and guys that have looked at, you know, once again, I mean, you can go back over the years and, uh, and usually the teams that are winning they had a guy that was looking at going to the NBA and decided to, to come back um yeah. which, which played it you know this this year you can say Jared Butler was was that guy but um I would I would go that I, I still kind of prefer the the one year transfer just for a little bit more stability but I'm also kind of uh you know the old, old school in my my thinking at times um <laughs> but you know, I also think there had been the gray, the gray line of, you know, the transfers that didn't have to sit out, and what was the what was the rationale, and, and obviously the grad transfers have been picking up significantly over the years. Um, so, you know, I, it'll be it'll be interesting, for sure.
1: Just a slight counterpoint there. Baylor, their two best players, both transfers. Uh, one did not have to sit out, and uh, one sat out the the one year that Davion Mitchell from Auburn and uh, Jared Butler was from Alabama, I want to say, or he was one of those SEC schools. Um, but yeah, I also thought that this year, the fact that transfers kind of were given the pass made it kind of awesome. And like, we wouldn't have a Johnny Juzang without that being the case this year, most likely. Um, so yeah, I, I thought, um, it definitely changed how college basketball went down, but I don't think it was for the worse.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, I, I think throughout the season, there's a plenty of games that were, uh, hard to, hard to watch, but I think that was also could, you know, style play, et cetera. So once you got into the tournament, it was it was fun. And yeah, you know, for, for Baylor, you know, Macy Oteague I think is kind of the old school transfer where UNC Asheville, I remember, you know, watching them in NIT uh, when they played USC, he played really well, I think was a sophomore. And then he sat out and then you have uh, Mitchell who came from Auburn. So, uh, and then, you know, for Gonzaga, they had, you know, they had a mixture of, Timmy coming back, some older, you know, Kisper obviously worked his way through four years. And then you had the one and done Jalen Suggs that fit in uh, absolutely perfectly. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of uh, Hunter Salas will have a lot of weight on his shoulders, most likely if um, people are kind of expecting him to come in and uh, do that right off the bat. But I guess uh, one, one question for you in terms of Arizona. Uh, So Pac-12 school had been dominating the West coast for years until the uh, really the FBI stuff caught up with them. Um, Do you think they stay with the Arizona guy or somebody like Tommy Lloyd from Gonzaga? What are your kind of initial, initial thoughts on that coaching position?
1: I really kind of believe the Tommy Lloyd stuff. Like I I could feel that, well, Tommy Lloyd has been kind of paying his dues and working at Gonzaga for quite a while. And I I think really like killing like the international recruiting, which I know Arizona was getting really heavily into. So I I believe that, but yeah, the guy who I always thought would be, well, there are of course a number of Arizona guys that they could look at, but um, yeah, you're hearing Damon Sodemeyer, who was my childhood hero as the Toronto Raptor. Um, I thought Jason Terry would be kind of awesome as well. Um, so yeah. And, you know, you hear about like, uh, maybe even like Miles Simon possibly, uh, being a candidate also. So yeah, they, they could certainly go and stay in the, in the program, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm believing this Tommy Lloyd stuff. I I could see that possibly, uh, being somebody that they're, they're really looking into heavily.
0: I mean, he's as you said, he's killed it on the international front. He's been at Gonzaga for for what was it, you know, twenty twenty eight plus years or whatever, whatever the number yeah. is, and
1: waiting for the right job
0: and for Mark View to take another job, but um, <laughs> not too probably also played a big hand in Suggs and whatever you know, Salas, et cetera. So. Um, mm-hmm. Going well, but at the same time, Arizona definitely—you know—they still have a lot of guys in that Arizona umbrella, so it'll be interesting to yeah. to see. Uh, I'm just surprised if they were going to do it, they didn't do it a little, little earlier. But
1: I'm with you on that one, yeah. And, and um, I like even with the issues Arizona had with recruiting, I always thought Sean Miller got recruits. So, like, even I, I thought the recruiting class this past year um, was really good and like they were kind of in the thick of things in the pack 12 for quite a while
0: yeah he kind of switched it up going a lot of the international route and grabbed a lot of guys late but they all for the most part ended up kind of surpassing uh expectations um at least for the majority of majority of people but in, in terms of recruits you know normally this time you you know Thursday would be the big uh, the big night at the Nike Hoop Summit. Uh, you you've been probably been watching both international and uh, U.S. guys for a while, but Thursday is always the big one. It's the one practice that all the NBA scouts and GMs and front office staff go to and get to see the U.S. team play. Uh, usually they'll play against uh, some guys from the local colleges, etc. Peyton Pritchard was a a long-standing uh, competitor in that until he actually made the team. Uh, but, you know, they they announced the rosters for the Hoops on both internationally and for the U.S., not, not being able to get a chance to see them play. Who are some of the players that you would have been looking forward to seeing the most in person?
1: I had been dying. So the team that they usually play in practice has been dubbed the Portland Generals. And there was a player a couple years ago for the Portland Generals who I had been like just waiting to see who would have been playing for the world team, and that's Paolo Benchero. And Paolo um is going to play for eventually for the Italian national team. Uh that was just he I, I think uh his father, I believe, Mario, um has some Italian connection. So, yeah, Paolo, uh, I, I think, is eventually going to suit up for Italy. Um, but, yeah, as soon as the – he had, uh, like, said – the they didn't announce the world teams last year, but he had kind of um, insinuated that he was likely going to play for the world team last year. And, yeah, would have loved to have seen him. The USA team, you had a uh, Chet Holmgren uh, – it would be great to see Jabari Smith Jr., who I feel is a really intriguing prospect. Um, and then uh, Caleb Houston, also on the world team. Um, Josh Giddy would have been a lot of fun. He's somebody that's really rising up draft boards. I kind of feel like some of the players that they announced, um, it might not have worked in like times where they were actually playing the game. But the world team that roster that they announced was like that would have been pretty much like a a dream week of of watching these guys play in practice and as we know the world team usually plays against each other in practice and has um i guess like more open practices with nba people there which i think ups the intensity as well um so yeah i really like both the u.s and the world rosters i looked at them and just kind of thought what if and uh definitely missed this event so so much the past couple years without it has been uh one of uh the biggest bummers i think uh just in my individual basketball life outside of the crazy things going on in the world
0: i think it was a a few years ago we had you on afterwards and i think it was I think it was you know the Zion Williamson class, uh, and I remember that that team did not not have the best showing, and you know how how sad you were after after the fact. I think this group would have been a good one. I mean, some of the guys uh, obviously are very well known. I, I think for me, uh, Hunter Salas, uh, Peyton Watson, and Matthew Cleveland yes. would have been the ones I would have liked to have seen the most, just because that didn't really get to see them in person uh, beforehand, where, whereas, uh, you know, Holmgren and Jabari Smith, they've been Patrick Baldwin Jr. They've been on the radar since I first entered high school for the most part. And then you mentioned Josh Giddey. And I guess that was probably one of the last live in-person events. Cause I was able to go to the, um, the what is it? The hoop summit or not hoop summit, but uh, basketball. Without borders. Yeah. yeah. Basketball without borders in, in Chicago right before you know, COVID shut things down and he was intriguing there. And then, you know, also, um, Aminu Mohammed, who's going to be going to Georgetown. Um, he would have been another, another guy that, that I would have liked to have seen. So once yeah. again, I mean, we're now, we didn't get to watch last year's class in any of the games. Um, I think that probably, you know, going into the high school or sorry, the college season, Jalen Suggs was, um, you know, maybe on the outskirts of the top ten, but he definitely wasn't in the top three on the draft boards, um, and had some other point guards rated higher than him. And maybe that would have changed in some of the McDonalds hoop summits, et cetera. And, you know, this year these guys, they missed the whole live period last year as well as, you know, they had a high school season, but maybe not the, the one that you know, was expected. So it would have been nice to get to see them, but hopefully hopefully next year uh things will be things will be back.
1: Really hope so. Iverson Round Ball Classic, Sean. That's what we the the event we have to wait for. Um May 7th, they're doing the skills, and I think May 8th they're doing the game in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, but they're actually playing a game. Apparently in the rosters look pretty good. Um I, I think a lot of the top guys. Um I, I can't leave out Nathan Biddle who's was a player that again had been waiting years to see and is of course going to university of Oregon. Um, and then I also wanted to throw out the, the fact Ryan Nemhard played fantastic for Montverde with Caleb Houston, uh, both Canadians who would have been on the world team. Um, and, uh, I haven't seen tons of Charles Bediaco. I watched his brother, Jaden Bediaco, who played for Santa Clara. Um, he had Tremendously long arms, and I believe Charles is even bigger than he is. Um, and that would have been cool. He just committed to Alabama. One player that I thought would have been really great to see because the last time I saw him live was in uh 2017 at Adidas Nations, and I think he was 15 at the time, Malcolm Cazalon, and he was playing for Africa. And they, they were just, you know, the, he didn't completely look out of place, didn't get very much playing time. But, yeah, you could just see, like, the fact that he was so much younger than everybody else, had this fantastic frame, like, has, like, a 6'10", 6'11 wingspan for a wing. Um, he he would have been really – it would have been just so much fun to see him again.
0: Well you heard it here for not, not first, but you heard it here, the Iverson round ball classic. So in May, so, yeah. you know, we we can probably preview that uh, before it happens, but, well, let's uh, go. you know, once again, once again, it was a fun college hoops. I know we'll be talking NBA draft. We've got a little more uh, runway into, into when that happens, but that'll be the, you know, the main topic for a while um, outside of the NBA the NBA season. But, it's been, you know, didn't have you on as much uh, this year as it was a little bit less frequent on my end, but it was good to get your thoughts on the college hoop season. And I know you've been able to keep a good schedule with your brother and you alluded to the, the draft talk you guys had, but um, what was that about? And what's kind of on the on the horizon for Visland?
1: We just did kind of a basic mock draft. Um, people were just kind of asking for what had really changed. I, I think we did a, a really... Early in season one, we talked about NBA prospects. It's going to be a lot of draft stuff. It's going to be, of course, the random basketball history and uh, all the the other content. Hopefully, eventually, we'll get guests on. I'm not sure the timeline of that. But, yeah, just uh, we just try and come up with a a few concepts every week. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun going over the prospects that maybe we hadn't gone over. I did a... A lottery mock, and then I did fifteen to thirty, and um, then the other thing that I'm doing is I'm helping out uh, Perspective Insight, where we talk about a lot of high school prospects. We're getting into the NBA draft there as well. Uh, we have something called Perspective Insight Pulse, which is where all of our uh, articles are, and we have some really good scouting reports and uh, roundtables and and things along those lines from great basketball minds there we have a fantastic team and then um of course the pro insight Q&As and they have a youtube channel as well and as far as visland goes you can find us on youtube or any podcast um pretty much all the podcast outlets that you can think of
0: yeah well that you know it's it's been an uh, entertaining and enjoyable listen um every was every wednesday morning it comes out Um when we so.
1: Put him out Wednesday at uh, 12 Eastern Standard Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, yeah, it's been great. And I have to give a huge shout out to my brother, Jason Weisenberg, who is kind of the, the technical guy of Weisland. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun doing that with him. And, uh, yeah, I just obviously love talking basketball which is why I love coming on the Sean Mo Hoops podcast. And I also love listening to episodes of the Sean Mo Hoops podcast because you just find some fantastic guests as well, Sean.
0: Well, I'm hoping to have um, an interesting one coming up over the next next few weeks. Um, I'm not sure if we'll top Martin Bahar, who uh, was a fun guest to have, but it should be uh, interesting and a relevant one, but still working on trying to get that one that one's scheduled, um, but we'll hopefully have that in the next few weeks. But thanks for coming on and, and always fun chatting college hoops with you and, and looking forward to chatting NBA draft uh, with you, uh, you know, coming up over the next uh, weeks and months.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Sean. It's great talking basketball with you as always.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Sean Mo Hoops pod. Thank you to everybody that, that listened to this and hopefully have some more in the near future.